1: and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Heritage Foundation's President, Kay Coles-James.
2: morning. Exciting morning, and we have a full house. I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone who is joining us for this very special event, both here and online. Uh, we welcome friends, distinguished guests from the administration, uh, NGOs, policy experts, business representatives, the diplomatic corps. I know we have an amazing field of expertise on Africa and the auditorium joining us today. We've been privileged here at the Heritage Foundation in 2018 to welcome major policy addresses from the highest levels of President Trump's administration. Earlier this year, uh, we had the honor of hosting Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. Today, Heritage is honored to continue our contributions to the most important national policy discussions. We welcome the Honorable John Bolton, Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs. Ambassador Bolton will speak to us on the Trump administration's New Africa Strategy. America's global role and foreign policy direction are rapidly expanding in new areas and in new ways. Africa is a direction that before now has not perhaps received the intense attention of the foreign policy community, but that is changing. Political security and economic developments in Africa now reverberate widely in America, Europe, and Asia. How America and the Trump administration approach these developments will reverberate equally widely in promoting safety, security, and prosperity on the African continent. Thank you all for joining us here today to hear Ambassador Bolton to speak on this important topic and U.S. strategy going forward. We look forward to his remarks and then a discussion afterwards with our Executive Vice President, Dr. Kim Holmes. I think that it is fitting that Dr. Holmes introduce uh, Ambassador Bolton today. Dr. Holmes is a former Assistant Secretary of State and one of our leading experts on foreign policy here at Heritage. In addition to working together over the years, Dr. Holmes and Ambassador Bolton have also been longtime friends. I would now like to invite Dr. Holmes, who has known and worked with the Ambassador for many years, to offer a warm welcome and introduction. Dr. Holmes.
0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much, Kay, for allowing me to introduce, uh, my, indeed, my good friend, John Bolton, and to welcome him to the Heritage Foundation. I'd like to welcome all of you as our guests here this, this morning. It's indeed a pleasure to have all of you here, and it is certainly is, is an honor to welcome John back to Heritage. Uh, as Kay mentioned, he is an old friend. I remember well hosting John many years ago. Uh, when he delivered remarks at the Heritage Foundation on the Bush administration's decision to disassociate from the International Criminal Court. It seemed just like yesterday, but it actually was quite a while back. Uh, John and I have indeed been in the trenches uh, for a long time. We served together at the State Department uh, during the Bush administration. And frankly, I can think of no one I would rather see advising President Trump on national security than John Bolton. There is no better advocate for America... He stands up for American interests and American values without apology and without hesitation, whether defending American interests at the United Nations, as he once did when he was permanent representative to the UN, or today supporting President Trump's agenda now as National Security Advisor. For John Bolton, as he once said in his book of the same title, Surrender is Not an Option. John Bolton knows the insides and outs of government like no one else I know. He is a master not only of details, but of a long plan. You can see his fingerprints all over decisions recently made by the president, and for that we are truly thankful. Today we welcome him to Heritage yet again to discuss the administration's policy and strategy towards Africa. Africa is a vast, beautiful, and complex continent filled with a rich culture a rich history, and an entrepreneurial spirit. But it is also experiencing many difficult changes and challenges. Some of these are old and echoes of the past. They've been around for a very long time, but some of them are actually quite new. Radical Islamist groups are destabilizing the region. Refugee movements in the north and health emergencies in the central regions are contributing to instability. There are concerns as well over the influence of external powers, such as China. And Russia on the economic, political life of Africans and on the security of the continent. Now, the foreign policy team at the Heritage Foundation follows these developments closely, and so we, as well as all of you, our distinguished guests here this morning, are greatly looking forward to Ambassador Bolton's address on Africa. So please now welcome Ambassador John Bolton, the Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs.
3: Kim, thanks very much and uh, thanks to you and Kay for inviting me here. I'm delighted again to be at Heritage, an institution that really has contributed so much to the public policy debate uh, for many decades now in the United States. Uh, And I'm particularly pleased to be here to unveil uh, the Trump administration's new Africa strategy, which the President approved yesterday and which the administration will begin executing immediately. This strategy is the result of an intensive interagency process and reflects the core tenets of President Trump's foreign policy doctrine. Importantly, the strategy remains true to his central campaign promise to put the interest of the American people first, both at home and abroad. White House is proud to finalize this strategy during the second year of President Trump's first term. About two years earlier than the prior administration's release of its Africa strategy. We have prioritized developing this document because we understand that lasting stability, prosperity, independence, and security on the African continent are in the national security interest of the United States. Under our new approach, every decision we make, every policy we pursue, and every dollar of aid we spend will further U.S. priorities in the region. In particular, the strategy addresses three core U.S. interests on the continent. First, advancing U.S. trade and commercial ties with nations across the region to the benefit of both the United States and Africa. We want our economic partners in the region to thrive, prosper, and control their own destinies. In America's economic dealings, We ask only for reciprocity, never for subservience. Second, countering the threat from radical Islamic terrorism and violent conflict. ISIS, al-Qaeda, and their affiliates all operate and recruit on the African continent, plotting attacks against American citizens and targets. Any sound U.S. strategy toward Africa must address this serious threat in a comprehensive way. And third, we will ensure that U.S. taxpayer dollars for aid are used efficiently and effectively. The United States will no longer provide indiscriminate assistance across the entire continent without focus or prioritization. And we will no longer support unproductive, unsuccessful, and unaccountable U.N. peacekeeping missions. We want something more to show for Americans' hard earned taxpayer dollars. Under our new Africa strategy, we will target U.S. funding toward key countries and particular strategic objectives. All U.S. aid on the continent will advance U.S. interest and help African nations move toward self-reliance. Our first priority, enhancing U.S. economic ties with the region, is not only essential to improving opportunities for American workers and businesses, it is also vital to safeguarding the economic independence of African states and protecting U.S. national security interests. Great power competitors, namely China and Russia, are rapidly expanding their financial and political influence across Africa. They are deliberately and aggressively targeting their investments in the region to gain a competitive advantage over the United States. From 2016 to 2017, China's foreign direct investment towards Africa totaled $6.4 billion. And over the past several years, China has devoted considerable state-directed and state-supported financing to projects in the region. China uses bribes, opaque agreements, and the strategic use of debt to hold states in Africa captive to Beijing's wishes and demands. Its investment ventures are riddled with corruption and do not meet the same environmental or ethical standards as U.S. developmental programs. Such predatory actions are subcomponents of broader Chinese strategic initiatives, including One Belt, One Road, a plan to develop a series of trade routes leading to and from China with the ultimate goal of advancing Chinese global dominance. In Africa, we are already seeing the disturbing effects of China's quest to obtain more political, economic, and military power. The nation of Zambia, for example, is currently in debt to China to the tune of six to ten billion dollars. China is now poised to take over Zambia's national power and utility company in order to collect on Zambia's financial obligations. Similarly, from 2014 to 2016, Djibouti's external public debt-to-GDP ratio ballooned from 50 percent to 85 percent, with most of that debt owed to China. In 2017, China established a military base in Djibouti that is only miles away from our U.S. base Camp Lemonnier, which supports critical U.S. operations to counter violent terrorist organizations in East Africa. In May, U.S. officials accused China of using military-grade lasers from this base to target and distract U.S. pilots on 10 different occasions. Two of our American pilots suffered eye injuries from exposure to laser beams. And soon, Djibouti may hand over control of the Doralay Container Terminal, a strategically located shipping port on the Red Sea, to Chinese state-owned enterprises. Should this occur, the balance of power in the Horn of Africa, astride major arteries of maritime trade between Europe, the Middle East, and South Asia, would shift in favor of China. And our U.S. military personnel at Camp Lemonnier could face even further challenges in their efforts to protect the American people. Russia, for its part, is also seeking to increase its influence in the region through corrupt economic dealings. Across the continent, Russia advances its political and economic relationships with little regard to the rule of law or accountable and transparent governance. It continues to sell arms and energy in exchange for votes at the United Nations, votes that keep strong men in power, undermine peace and security, and run counter to the best interest of the African people. Russia also continues to extract natural resources from the region for its own benefit. In short, the predatory practices pursued by China and Russia stunt economic growth in Africa, threaten the financial independence of African nations, inhibit opportunities for U.S. investment, interfere with U.S. military operations, and pose a significant threat to U.S. national security interests. Equally concerning at this time, the lack of economic progress in the region has accompanied the proliferation of radical Islamic terrorism and other forms of violent conflict across Africa. Countering these serious threats is the second priority of our new Africa strategy. In recent years, ISIS, al-Qaeda, and other terrorists operating in Africa have increased the lethality of their attacks, expanded into new areas, and repeatedly targeted U.S. citizens and interests. In Mali, JNIM, Jama Nusra al-Islam wal muslimin uh, which describes itself as an al-Qaeda affiliate, is increasing in strength and has killed and wounded scores of peacekeepers, partner forces, innocent civilians, in addition to kidnapping Westerners and threatening U.S. allies. In Libya, the local ISIS affiliate has found fertile ground to recruit new terrorists and plot attacks against the United States. In South Sudan, an ongoing civil war has ravaged a young nation, displaced millions, and led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. The continuing threat from terrorism and other violent conflicts across the region puts American lives at risk and drains vital American resources. Between 2014 and 2018, the United States provided approximately $3.76 billion in humanitarian aid to South Sudan and refugees in neighboring countries. This number represents only a small amount of the total aid that the United States devotes to Africa. In fact, in fiscal year 2017, the Department of State and USAID provided approximately $8.7 billion in development, security, and food assistance to Africa. In fiscal year 2016, we provided approximately $8.3 billion. Between 1995 and 2006, U.S. aid to Africa was roughly equal to the amount of assistance provided by all other donors combined. Unfortunately, billions upon billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars have not achieved the desired effects. They have not stopped the scourge of terrorism, radicalism, and violence. They have not prevented other powers such as China and Russia from taking advantage of African states to increase their own power and influence and they have not led to stable and transparent governance, economic viability, and increasing development across the region. From now on, the United States will not tolerate this long-standing pattern of aid without effect, assistance without accountability, and relief without reform. Instead, we are pursuing a new path, one that we hope finally gets results. Americans are a generous people, but we insist that our money is put to good use. Our third priority, therefore, is ensuring that all U.S. assistance dollars sent to Africa are used efficiently and effectively to advance peace, stability, independence, and prosperity in the region. Here are some of the specific bold actions we will take under our new strategy To address the three priority areas I've just highlighted. To expand our economic relationships in the region, we are developing a new initiative called Prosper Africa, which will support U.S. investment across the continent, grow Africa's middle class, and improve the overall business climate in the region. In addition, we will encourage African leaders to choose high-quality, transparent, inclusive and sustainable foreign investment projects. Including those from the United States. We will leverage our expanded and modernized development tools to support access to financing and provide strong alternatives to external state directed initiatives. America's vision for the region is one of independence, self reliance, and growth, not dependency, domination, and debt. We want African nations to succeed, flourish, and remain independent in fact, and not just in theory. In the coming years and months, we also intend to pursue modern, comprehensive trade agreements on the continent that ensure fair and reciprocal exchange between the United United States and the nations of Africa. We will begin these negotiations on a bilateral basis and focus on creating mutually beneficial partnerships. Our new economic initiatives in Africa will help support American jobs, and expand market access for U.S. exports while promoting sustainable growth in African countries. We will focus our economic efforts on African governments that act with us as strategic partners and which are striving toward improved governance and transparent business practices. As our partner nations develop economically, they will be better prepared to address a range of security threats, including terrorism and militant violence. Under our new strategy, we will also take several additional steps to help our African friends fight terrorism and strengthen the rule of law. We will assist key African governments in building the capacity of partner forces and security institutions to provide effective and sustainable security and law enforcement services, to their citizens. Our goal is for the nations of the region to take ownership over peace and security in their own neighborhood. The G5 Sahel Joint Force, comprised of Mauritania, Niger, Chad, Burkina Faso, and Mali, which the United States supports, is a great example of the enormous potential for African joint security cooperation. The G5-Sahel Joint Force is seeking to build regional capability to combat terrorism, transnational organized crime, and human trafficking in the Sahel. As this force gains capacity, G5 countries must remain in the driver's seat. This initiative cannot be outsourced to the UN for funding and other support. We want to see more cooperative uh, regional security organizations like these emerge around the world. As part of our new Africa strategy, the United States will also reevaluate its support for UN peacekeeping missions. We will only back effective and efficient operations that we will seek to streamline, reconfigure, or terminate missions that are unable to meet their own mandate or facilitate lasting peace. Our objective is to resolve conflicts, not freeze them in perpetuity. And we will not provide legitimacy to missions that give large payouts to countries sending poorly equipped soldiers who provide insufficient protection to vulnerable populations on the ground. The sexual exploitation and abuse by UN peacekeepers of the very populations they were sent to protect has been and remains completely unacceptable. Continued malfeasance without consequences damages the integrity of the entire UN peacekeeping system. If we are truly committed to protecting innocent life in conflict zones, then we must insist on accountable, robust, and effective peacekeeping operations. In April, the United States did just that regarding the decades-old U.N. peacekeeping mission in the Western Sahara. We demanded a six-month rather than an annual renewal period for the mission, and we insisted on a stronger, more effective mandate tied to substantive political progress. Because of our actions, the parties to the conflict in key neighboring countries agreed to meet for the first time since 2012. Last week, the U.N. envoy hosted these talks in Geneva, and the participants agreed to hold additional talks early next year. Moving forward, we will also ensure that bilateral U.S. security assistance targets nations that act as responsible regional stakeholders and nations where state failure or weakness would pose a direct threat to the United States and our citizens. We want to use American dollars in the most efficient way to protect the interests of the American people. Accordingly, we will make certain that all aid to the region, whether for security, humanitarian, or development needs, advances these U.S. interests. Countries that receive U.S. assistance must invest in health and education, encourage accountable and transparent governments, support fiscal transparency, and promote the rule of law. The administration will not allow hard-earned taxpayer dollars to fund corrupt autocrats who use the money To fill their coffers at the expense of their people or commit gross human rights abuses. For example, the United States is now reviewing its assistance to South Sudan to ensure that our aid does not prolong the conflict or facilitate predatory behavior. We will not provide loans or more American resources to a South Sudanese government led by the same morally bankrupt leaders who perpetuate the horrific violence and immense human suffering in South Sudan. The administration is also developing a new foreign assistance strategy to improve the effectiveness of American foreign aid worldwide. American foreign assistance was originally designed to counter the Soviet Union during the Cold War and most recently to fight terrorism after 9-11. Today we need to make adjustments to address the pressing challenge of great power competition and to correct past mistakes in structuring our funding. In developing our strategy, we are revisiting the foundational principles of the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan furthered American interest, bypassed the United Nations, and targeted key sectors of foreign economies rather than dissipating aid across hundreds of programs. Our new foreign assistance strategy will ensure that all U.S. foreign aid in every corner of the globe advances U.S. interest. Our goal is to move recipient states toward self-reliance and prevent long-term dependency. Structural reforms will likely be critical, including practicing fiscal responsibility, promoting fair and reciprocal trade, deregulating economies, and supporting the private sector. We should emphasize bilateral mechanisms to maintain maximum American control over every American dollar spent. Less needy recipients should graduate from foreign assistance, and assistance should decline to countries and organizations making poor policy choices. In addition, we should target resources toward areas where we have the most impact to ensure efficient use of taxpayer dollars. Countries that repeatedly vote against the United States in international forums or take actions counter to U.S. interest should not receive generous American foreign aid. The United States will respect the independence of other nations in providing humanitarian security and development assistance. We are not among those powers that pursue dollars for dependency. However, we draw the line at funding causes that harm our interests and our citizens. Around the world, the United States seeks partners who are self-reliant, independent, and strong, nations that respect the interests of their people, the rights of their neighbors, and the principle of fairness and reciprocity in all agreements. Under our new Africa strategy, we will expand economic ties on the basis of mutual respect. We will help African nations take control of their own economic destinies And their own security needs. And we will ensure that all U.S. foreign assistance in the region gets results for the American people. I am honored to have had the opportunity to highlight the details of our plans here at Heritage today, and I look forward to taking your questions. Thank you very much.
0: Well, thank you very much for that, uh, John. It was When we first heard that uh, you were actually working on a larger Africa strategy, we were very pleased to hear that because we've long argued here that Africa does not get the attention it needs or when it does get the attention from the administration, it very often ends up uh, pursuing policies that not only do not improve things, but actually in some cases make them worse. And so tackling Africa and from the point of view of the... uh, of the the principles that you outlined there was really was something we really welcome and doubly happy that you decided to come here, and share uh, the president's new strategy at the Heritage Foundation. Um, we were here. If there's any points you wish to elaborate on or extrapolate on. This is uh, this is your time, uh, so you can jump in at any moment. Um, but to get things started, I thought I would ask you to uh, comment a little bit more on the strategic competition you mentioned regarding China and Russia, uh, particularly the approach of China is multifaceted. It's it's cutting across the entire range of national and international security and economic policy trade, uh, foreign aid and the like. And, and so, as you rightly pointed out, we need a broad, holistic response to that. Uh, if you could uh, say a little bit more about all of the tools that you have at your disposal uh, for U.S. policy, But if you also could at some point uh, talk about what is the impact on the U.S. military activities, military presence, and and the military security, even in terms of the assistance that we provide uh, to some of the countries uh, either for military or for counterterrorism purposes.
3: Well, you know, one of the uh one of the reasons that I've been uh, interested in Africa for some time is my my first real job in the government was at the US Agency for International Development in the Reagan administration and I uh, I traveled uh, among other places to Zimbabwe just a few years after uh the the uh, end of the real independence of Zimbabwe, the end of white rule and the beginning of uh, uh of self-government there and it was uh it's a fascinating time. It didn't work out so well for a lot of reasons. Hopefully, we're in a new era now. But uh, this, this, the, the continuation of these kinds of governance problems uh, was something that always drew my attention. As I was mentioning to you and Kay uh, a little bit earlier, uh, being at the UN in New York and talking to African ambassadors about the, uh, their vi- their vision of, uh, of for their own countries and for Africa was something that that also was, uh, I found, quite fascinating. But within the U.S. government, it is fair to say, whether it's Republican or Democratic administrations alike, it's often been difficult to get people to focus on it. There are always competing priorities. Um, uh, But now I think uh, precisely because of the uh, very well thought out, very comprehensive intervention of China uh, in the continent of Africa, in other places around the world too, Uh, with a program that is uh, very systematically designed to tilt whole regions of the world, and particularly mineral resource-rich areas, in China's direction, that uh, this is a very important point for the United States and the West as a whole to wake up. Uh, We need to to foster, uh, as I said a few moments ago, independence for African countries. The United States uh, although our adversaries for decades have called us an imperial power, we're probably the least imperial great power in the history of the world. Uh, our interest uh, doesn't doesn't uh, match any uh, uh, prior power throughout history of comparable size and influence, uh, but that's not the view of some of the great powers we are competing with in the world today. So we really have an opportunity here, I hope, for a debate and discussion in the United States about shaping relations with Africa uh, to the mutual advantage of the African countries on the one hand and the United States on the other. It's a very different view than I think some of our competitors hold. So whether it's uh, in the economic field, Prosper Africa is not an aid program. It's uh, it's based the idea is based on trade and investment. Uh, in the security field because of the threats that we see really across the African continent, uh, and in the political space as well. Uh, There are some real opportunities here. Now, resources from the U.S. government are constrained. There's no doubt about it. We're certainly looking for all the opportunities we can. I I think if you're going to have a comprehensive strategy, and I mentioned our foreign aid review, which is very near completion, Uh, That implies changes in allocations and directions. Uh, Otherwise, you're just pursuing the path you pursued the year before endlessly. That doesn't amount to a strategy. That just amounts to bureaucracy uh, repeating itself. But uh, uh, hopefully, uh, with with the strategy that the president has just approved, we can have that kind of conversation to give Africa the priority in American strategic thinking uh, that I think uh, the administration believes it deserves.
0: You've mentioned the uh, ongoing or the uh, review of foreign assistance program that's, uh, that's currently happening. Uh, reforming the foreign aid program is something that we here at Heritage have been looking at for decades. Uh, we've been talking about the importance of having conditionality applied uh, to the aid, focusing more on developing civil society and free markets and economic freedom rather than government to government assistance, which ends up propping up corrupt regimes very often. Um, Could you say, can you give us a forecast of what is happening with that review? But in particular, from uh, our our interest here is, is there any thought about what will change in terms of the purpose and mission and structure of AID uh, as the main administrator of these programs?
3: Right. Well, you know, I, I wish I could say that the foreign aid review was complete and that I could uh, I could describe it and what it is. I'd be happy to come back and do it. We at can length. do that too. We're close. We're close. We're close. Uh, and I would expect within a very short period of time we will bring it to a conclusion. Uh, I think, uh, again, speaking as an AID alumnus, uh, what we see is that is that uh, for years things have just proceeded. Really, without this kind of comprehensive review, and uh, it's long overdue. there's a long history to uh to u uh, s foreign assistance programs dating back to really the first was a private effort herbert hoover's uh, famous committee for relief in Belgium during World War one where um, uh, really with no assistance from the u s government at all he he developed an enormous uh, program for uh, feeding civilian populations in uh, in war-stricken uh, Europe, uh, but we've we've got to have more effective delivery mechanisms. I think we're going to look very hard, as I mentioned in the speech, what's the best way to provide this assistance. Uh, I'd reveal my biases again if I if I said I was an AID alumnus. I I understand bilateral uh, programs. I've also been at the UN. I have my views on that as well as you know. So we but we look this is a complex process. If it were easy to do, I'd be done already. Mm-hmm. But uh there there are a lot of very bright prospects here and and we're going to be talking to some of the other donor nations as well as we uh, as we conclude our review and and see if they might not be up for looking at their programs too.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned also in the in the context of the New Africa strategy that you're taking a a, a strong and hard and close look at UN peacekeeping operations in Africa, and you mentioned that uh, uh, the principle of trying to actually bring peace and end the operations rather than freezing the conflict, which very often happens with UN peacekeeping operations, is the goal on the new strategy. Once again, it's, uh, this is a, a very laudable goal as far as, as we at Heritage are concerned. Uh, beyond the, the, uh, the mission at, uh, of, of South Sudan, are there any other peacekeeping operations uh, that you are looking at? For example, Monosco and the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is, I think, the second largest uh, peacekeeping operation in Africa. Uh, there are others as well. Uh, this is really where most of the UN peacekeeping operation work is done is in Africa. Can you say a bit more about
3: that? Right. Well, clearly what ha- has happened in uh, UN peacekeeping operations all around the world is that in An effort to uh, bring an ongoing conflict to an end, Uh, a truce of some kind is arranged and a peacekeeping force is inserted increasingly in recent years with a political component to it. But unfortunately, uh, all too often at the United Nations, establishing the peacekeeping force and deploying it is the end of creative thinking. Mm -hmm. And the mandate is renewed almost automatically. The Secretary General's special representative comes in every year, gives a report, the Security Council rolls the mandate over, and not very much happens. Uh, I think there needs to be a lot more focus on resolving the underlying conflict uh, and therefore having success in the peacekeeping mission. Success is not simply continuing the mission ad infinitum. And I picked the Western Sahara as my favorite example because when I – had the job we both once held as Assistant Secretary for International Organizations at the State Department in 1991. I participated in writing the mandate for Minersa when it was created, 27 years ago. And I worked with Jim Baker uh, when he was uh, Kofi Annan's personal envoy in 1997 to try and resolve the Western Sahara where the, 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 the entire effort had broken down and he tried it again in 2000 and 2001, and when I got to the U.N. in 2005-2006, again we tried to fix, all all we want to do is hold a referendum for 70,000 voters, it's 27 years later, the status of the territory is still unresolved. The new uh, U.N. envoy I think has some very creative ideas, but honestly ladies and gentlemen, 27 years of deployment of this U.N. peacekeeping force, 27 years? and it's still there, how, how can you justify that? So, so I think uh, I, I, I've, I've gotten to know over the years, I've gotten to know the Sawari people, I have enormous respect for them, I have enormous respect for the government and people of Morocco and Algeria. Is there not a way to resolve this? Uh, because the resources, the time and attention that we're devoting to the peacekeeping forces could much more productively be used in the development and economic betterment of the people of the region. That, that's why this is important. If you resolve conflicts, you're freeing resources, economic and political, for other purposes. That's what our objective should be.
0: You're right about, uh, in many ways, the way the mandates are put together for the peacekeeping operations, there are political compromises with the groups in the region and also the, the countries on the Security Council, and, it, and, and the compromises almost always end up either freezing the situation or not, or not advancing it. I, when I was assistant secretary, I visited Congo and flew all around and saw, uh, in one case, there was a case where there was a village that had been reoccupied by some of the militia and drove out the, mostly the women and children. Uh, into the uh, the side region of the village, and then UNESCO, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the UN agencies came in and took care of those children, but they would do nothing about the problem. And they told me that the way the mandate was written was just basically freezing the conflict. So, this is a very real problem that is built into the way they approach peacekeeping operations.
3: Now, let me, me just so. say on that point I, I'm not blaming the UN mm-hmm. Secretariat here, I'm blaming the Security Council. Yeah. Security Council sets the peacekeeping forces up. Security Council should guide the special representatives, the Security Council should press to get the conflict resolved. And it's not enough just to roll a peacekeeping mandate over, they need to be much more involved politically uh, in getting the parties to to, to work out their differences.
0: Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the problem of terrorism in Africa, That uh, it is it's very significant in some areas it's even growing. Um, yeah. Could you say a bit more about what the United States expects of African countries themselves and not only cooperating with the United States but even taking uh, activities and, and responsibility themselves to combating terrorism?
2: Well, there
3: certainly have been very successful uh, efforts. I think I mentioned the G5 uh, Sahel Joint Force. Uh, there, are, there are others that, uh, that that we can envision, others we would support. Uh, We're in active conversation in New York and a number of capitals on that score. Uh, Look, it's foundational in the UN Charter that regional uh, organizations should have much more of a role than they've historically had. I think Africa is a very important place to try and make that that principle work. Uh, Obviously, there are uh, countries in Africa that have benefited from, from successful UN peacekeeping operations, Namibia, is a good example, Madagascar, Mozambique rather. Uh, But uh, I think now it's time for African governments to take the lead themselves and do more of that. We'd love to encourage and support that uh, uh, if the circumstances are right.
0: The Heritage Foundation is a a civil society organization, if you will, and there are many people in this audience from uh, civil society groups who operate and work Either in Africa or work on the subject of Africa, and um, I'm sure that many of them are interested in what uh, they could do or should be doing differently in terms of civil society support uh, for helping the African people. That would be complementary to what you're trying to do with your new Africa strategy.
3: Well, I think uh, the most important thing is is to to look at the geopolitical reality that we're facing. Uh, we've already seen some countries, I mentioned a couple of concerns in Africa, but other countries in uh, Asia, uh, some in Latin America where this, what we call debt for diplomacy, debt diplomacy strategy is being pursued very successful. It's very tempting to get into financial arrangements that seem attractive in the near term, but then get more and more difficult to, to get out of. So I think Uh, Because the state-directed nature of that kind of approach uh, fundamentally isn't really reconcilable with independent civil society to begin with, Uh, I think non-governmental organizations and others uh, should be aware of that and should be advising their uh, partners in Africa of the risks involved when, when these kinds of proposals are made. Because not only will it squeeze the independence of African countries, It will squeeze the space available for civil society inevitably.
0: Well, we have – you've been hearing for many years the mantra towards Africa trade, not aid. And uh, you mentioned both trade and aid in your remarks. And uh, there are many uh, U.S. companies that probably would like to invest more in Africa. Uh, they're not sure of the trade environment, the legal environment, most importantly, they're not sure of the security and political environment. Uh, if, you, if we wish to try to engage Africa more, not only at a civil society, but at an economic and financial levels, in order to counter what China is doing, uh, what uh, can we be saying to American corporations or investors, uh, in addition to what you mentioned a minute ago about civil society groups, uh, that you would be working on to try to increase increase a better more friendly environment for u.s investment in Africa
3: Well, I think the policy environment is uh, is obviously the the most important, and I think that uh, f- uh, that that really is a, a fundamentally within the control of the African countries themselves. Uh, the more the more open they are uh, really to competitive uh, foreign uh, investment, not tied to one country or one particular program, the more likely uh, foreign investors are likely to come in. In the United States, we've certainly added to our capacity to help American investors uh, through major improvements, I think, in OPIC, the Overseas Private Investment uh, Corporation, with new authorities, with the Millennium Challenge Corporation. There are a lot of possibilities here that didn't exist when I was at AID, and I think those are all things from an American business point of view that really ought to point them in the direction of places where they're supply chain can be safer uh, and less susceptible to to, uh, political manipulation as it is in many countries where we've invested now.
0: Uh, Both you and uh, and I in the discussion here, we've made reference to a couple of times to the the different approach that you're trying to take with Africa, how it differs from past approaches. Uh, Not to put you on the spot, but maybe I can. Uh, What do you think in the past has been the sort of central conceptual mistake that administrations have made in the past or Americans make when they look towards Africa. Uh, I know there's a lot of different aspects to, to the, the policies that you're talking about, but if uh, you sort of leave, raise it to the strategic level, and, and what do we have done wrong in the, fa- in the past when we think about Africa?
3: Well, I think uh, too many administrations, and you know, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a bipartisan problem, have have looked at Africa and said you know uh, they wouldn't necessarily put it this way but they'd say it's not strategically important to the United States i can remember uh, an assistant secretary of african affairs in one administration which i served I'll, I'll leave that vague so i don't don't embarrass him but once told me a story how he had had a uh, consultation with his japanese opposite number the assistant secretary equivalent there for Africa. And they had both quickly agreed that in the list of regional bureaus in the foreign ministry in Japan and the State Department in Washington, Africa was the lowest ranking priority of all the regional bureaus. And I think if you start with that proposition, the conclusion is pretty obvious. I just think the proposition is wrong. Africa is incredibly important to the United States. Uh, If we didn't understand it before, uh, the competition posed by China and Russia, among others, should highlight it for us, which is why I do think this is a potential turning point in American understanding of what's at stake for us, not just for Africa, but for the United States in African affairs. So that uh, as we address this, I think uh, there there should be a new openness on both sides to understanding what's at risk here uh, and why it's to our advantage to update our understanding of what the priority is for the United States. Well, one
0: of the, the main themes of your speech, and, and the President makes this point time and time again, is, is that the American foreign policy should serve the interests of the American people and our values. And the interesting thing I, that at least struck me about the way that you were laying out the, the strategy is, is that yes, uh, it suits our interests, uh, it suits our values, but it's also good for Africans too. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's just more effective in actually combating the problems that the Africans themselves face, whether it's terrorism, economic development, or a lack of freedom, and I mean this has been this has been the formula, of, of, in my opinion, of American genius uh, of, of our foreign policy over the last decades. Uh, and uh, it's sort of a recentering, in the way I see it, of of American foreign policy in a traditional way that we have looked at our interests in the past. And and can you say about how the uh, in your Con- conversations with the president and uh, his approach to American interests. He has said elsewhere uh, he's actually talked with our European allies in terms of burden sharing, but this is not really the context that you're putting this uh, in. Can you say a bit more about how the, the president's own vision of his new foreign policy fits into what you're doing?
3: Right. Well, you know, I'm sure people in this room probably know the, uh, the famous uh, Alibi lines, I guess that uh, that people use, and it's it has become sort of a joke when somebody says the check's in the mail. You know, you know the check's not in the mail. Uh, when somebody says I'm from the government and I'm here to help, that's an instant warning that you better uh, get put your hand on your wallet. Uh, this is not really about. I think the conceptual mistake uh, that has been made before is that talking about the U.S. relationship with Africa is talking about how we're going to help Africa. Uh, I think the president's transactional history of making deals that are mutually beneficial because you don't make many successful investments unless the people on the other side of the transaction get something out of it true uh, uh, is, is something that should encourage uh, African governments and those that want to see a higher level of relations between the United States and Africa to see what's possible. Uh, Because if it's a little straight talking among friends about what's beneficial on both sides, you're much more likely to get a successful outcome than pretending that it's a one-sided relationship.
0: Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time, Ambassador Bolton. It's a a pleasure to have you here again, and thank you for coming. I know you have a, a lot on your schedule today. Uh, So I'd uh, like to uh, ask everyone to join me in a round of applause uh, to thank uh, Ambassador Bolton.
2: Thank you very
0: much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can I ask everyone to please remain seated uh, just for a moment, please? Again, I'd like to thank everyone uh, for coming... uh, here this morning. Uh, if you wish to learn more about the Heritage Foundation, you can go to heritage.org, uh, learn about our many programs, including the work that we've done on Africa uh, and the United Nations in particular. Uh, Ambassador Bolton's uh, speech will be recorded. As a matter of fact, it was uh, streamed live uh, by, uh, as a webcast by the Heritage Foundation, but it will be archived uh, shortly on the heritage.org site if you wish to review it. So once again, thank all of you for coming. Uh, We are having to use this room, I'm afraid, for another event in a very short order of time. So if I could ask everyone to sort of vacate the room quickly, I appreciate it. Thank you.
3: Testing one two three. Podium microphone check one two three. Testing one two three. Podium microphone One two three four five six
0: seven eight nine ten eleven twelve. 2,
3: I try to stay
1: in
2: the first film was released
1: Hello. There we go. Hi, everybody. My name is Garrett Marquis with the NSC. Um, we're here to do a uh, brief Q and A. Um, we're here to do a uh, brief Q and A with uh, Ambassador Bolton. Be a press brief uh, on the Trump administration's new Africa strategy. I uh, Just want to be clear that the ambassador will only be answering questions as it relates to the region and the strategy. Uh, anything else, we'll just skip to the next question, so please keep your questions relevant to the topic. That said, we have a hard stop. We're a little bit before 11, so we're going to get going right now. With that, I'll uh, introduce Ambassador Bolden, and uh, I'll take the first question. So, uh, anybody please, Steve. Uh, good morning, Ambassador Steve Herman from Voice of America. I'm
2: wondering if you
3: could tell us as far as Who's going to get what in Africa? Who's going to be specifically in the U.S. government making those decisions? Is it going to be sort of a line item where you or the president uh, are essentially deciding, or is it a more holistic job process? Uh, There's a budget process we're going through right now in uh, compiling the president's fiscal year 2020 uh, budget request. Uh, The aggregate numbers are built up uh, from the bottom, so country allocations for uh, the various kinds of economic assistance and security assistance, economic assistance primarily from uh, state AID, food aid from the Department of Agriculture, security assistance primarily from the Department of Defense, and OMB will be using, uh, is using, the principles that we've developed in the foreign aid review that I mentioned uh, during the speech. Uh, the foreign aid review itself is not quite done. We didn't quite make it on the budget cycle, but we know 90 percent of what the conclusion is, and so those uh, considerations are being factored in now. So I can't really give you uh, the kind of answer that you like, but when the budget, when the president's budget request comes out, uh, that's when you'll see the outcome of it. All right, Nick,
1: Ambassador uh, Nick. African countries are accepting Chinese technology and infrastructure, even countries like the Caribbean, because they want (coughs) technology, and they want the infrastructure, they believe the U.S. isn't competing. How do you respond to that? And also, AFRICOM has been asked to cut 10%. What message does that send Uh, while you're trying
3: to increase emphasis Right? Well, look, the way the Chinese are doing this, and it's been very successful in places like Sri Lanka, the Maldives, I mentioned Djibouti and uh, Zambia in Africa and other countries, is they come in with projects. They have very attractive financing in the early years. Uh, but the terms and conditions of the projects as they accumulate get more and more owners, and countries find themselves having been attracted quite understandably by initially attractive uh, financial terms and find themselves in more and more difficult straits. So uh, there's a little bit of bait and switch in what China's been up to, and part of what, what we've been trying to do is make this clear, that uh, that our the way we do business is uh, much more straightforward uh, but you have to you have to both do the math and understand what's what's behind it. Uh, and I think it, it's not not that they need any help from us. They the uh, developing countries all over the world are increase, increasingly worried uh, about this Chinese approach. I think you saw it very graphically recently at the uh, APEC meeting in Port Moresby in Papua New Guinea, where the Vice President represented the United States. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that across Africa. So this is part of the reason that we felt that we needed to make it clear that the United States did have a high priority on Africa. We approach it very differently than our peer competitors do. And that yeah, look, uh, the, the military is reallocating budgets uh, on a worldwide basis to try and meet uh, a growing range of threats. That's why I emphasize in the speech things like the G5 Sahel Joint Force. What we'd like to do is empower the African countries to do more of their own security, to do it in coordination with one another. They're the ones who know the neighborhood. Rather than have the deployment of uh, American forces who are comparatively very well-paid and uh, uh, well-equipped, we're not going to be in a position, as, as we're not in the Middle East where you've seen uh, rotation of forces away to the Pacific and other places, uh, but our uh, but those kinds of decisions don't reflect a lack of priority. They reflect, I think, a changing way of uh, trying to do business to give uh, the help that we're uniquely capable of giving to the countries that want it. Jessica, yeah,
1: uh, no, no, I'm behind you actually. That's good.
2: Okay. Next time. Uh, uh, I uh, also have two. You explicitly mentioned China and Russia. Uh, on the first one, the President called off his meeting with Library Putin recently where
3: they might have talked about some of these issues. Are there any plans to reschedule that meeting? No, and the President, uh, I'm just going to relate this to Africa, but it's about as close as it's, cl- it's close, but you're hanging by a thread. Uh, <laughs> the, pre- the President, president uh, we, we made it clear, I made it clear to my counterpart in Moscow uh, right before the President announced on Air Force One he was canceling the meeting Uh, with President Putin that we simply could not have uh, the previously scheduled uh, encounter as long as Russia still held the uh, Ukrainian ships and crews. Uh, President ran into Vladimir Putin at the dinner that President Macri of Argentina gave for all the G20 uh, countries the first evening of the G20 meeting and he made the same point. Uh, It's uh, it's something that uh, the President feels strongly about. Uh, I've spoken to uh, the Russians myself on the subject, and that's where we are. So I don't see circumstances uh, in the foreseeable future where such a meeting could take place uh, until the uh, the crews and the ships are released. The second no one was on Yemen, which is in Africa. Uh, no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Okay. Well, <laughs> be- take a shot. See how close you come this time. <laughs> uh, the
2: president said this week that he would be open to looking up legislation that would response to the, the, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, but then there was language added to a bill yesterday that blocked it, and I just wanted to know how uh, that war fits into the strategy, and
3: whether or yeah, not... I, I don't think you made it across the line with oh, that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> Folks in
1: Africa, did you have Sorry, a good question? Yes, sir. Thanks, uh Getting back to what you talked about earlier, uh, and this
0: might go back to the previous administration quite a bit, but uh, why was the U.S. so much slower than...
3: Well, I think uh, it's been an uneven performance by the United States, an uneven appreciation uh, of Africa. Certainly, uh, we saw in uh, in the case going back to the Bush forty one administration with the intervention in Somalia at Thanksgiving in nineteen ninety two to uh, open channels of humanitarian relief there. It wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't that uh, the continent was ignored; it was simply that it was it did not fit coherently. Uh, into an overall American foreign policy. Uh, I think China, it's very understandable what they're up to, uh, and that is they have systematically tried to monopolize natural resources in particular in countries all around the world. Uh, The One Belt, One Road initiative is a multi-decade long project. Um, One could say that China thinks over a longer strategic period than we do. Americans have the the vices of their virtues were an impatient people. It's one reason we are the country we are today, but that has downsides that uh, you don't necessarily think in longer-term strategies. Uh, I think the Russians are much more oppor- opportunistic. I think this is, uh, has to do with Putin's desire to uh, reestablish Russia as a world player. Uh, they've been involved in uh, various African countries before, and this is an effort to, to get back into the game.
1: Please. my name is Shot with the German press agency. I just wanted to ask uh, is this program going to lead to budget cuts in US foreign assistance to Africa, or is this a
3: reworking, re-strategizing, more effective use of existing resources? Right. Well, it's a fair question, but my answer is basically the same as the answer to the first question from the gentleman from Voice of America. What what the math ends up to be depends on a bottom-up approach. So we're looking at this uh, really in global terms as uh, OMB and the uh, uh, operational departments and agencies prepare their FY 2020 budget request. Obviously, Congress has to appropriate the money, so that could change the uh, direction and levels in some respects as well. Uh, uh, and and so we don't. I can't. I just literally cannot answer the question until we get to the end of the budget process. And that's that's nothing new, by the way. That that is true every year. That's what makes the budget process so much fun. Well,
1: what's your goal? Is your goal to actually lead to reductions when you go into
3: these meetings? What's, what's the mindset? Well, the budget guidance that uh, the president directed that OMB send out across the board, with the exception of defense. Uh, uh, looks overall like uh, like a budget cut for the entire government budget. He wants to reduce uh, the deficit and obviously reduce the national debt. Uh, but how that works out in uh, department by department and then program by program, uh, we just can't say at this point. Please. I'm asked to make from the New Yorker. Um, so uh, I was looking at the Western Sahara
2: and um, I, just, I was interested in what you hope to see that. Do you want to see the Moroccan autonomy plan? Do you want to see a referendum? And I just want you to speak a little bit about, personally, what it's about for the last 27 years,
3: seeing this uh, crisis be frozen. Frustration. Frustration. And that's uh, referred to American impatience a few minutes ago. Uh, uh, I'd like to see this resolved if the parties can agree on the way forward. That's the the preference I I spoke to uh, former German President Kohler, who is the U.N. Special Envoy now for the Western Sahara. Um, uh, he's spoken to Jim Baker, who, uh, there are two Americans who really focus a lot on the Western Sahara. One's Jim Baker, one's me. There are obviously plenty of others, but we've worked on this for a long time. Uh, I think uh, you have to think of the people of the Western Sahara. Think of the Sawaris, uh, many of whom are still in refugee camps uh, uh, near Tinduf in the Sahara Desert that we need to allow these people and their children to get back and have normal lives. So I think there should be intense pressure on everybody involved to see if they can't work it out. Uh you know, being being an American, I favor voting, but uh there are you know, there this this is uh this is obviously a long-standing dispute going back to the uh in the as uh, after Franco's death when Spain's control over the colonial areas disappeared. So um, uh, after 27 years, I don't uh, I don't get impatient on a daily basis. I just get impatient when I think about it, uh, and I'm hoping that uh, President Kohler can can bring this together. Please, Neil McCabe, One American News, sir. Uh, many in Congress, uh, particularly Senator Rand Paul, have blocked the Pentagon from moving the headquarters of Africa Command from Kelly Barracks in Stuttgart to Africa there would be advantages to having Africa command in Africa. Would you or the administration support moving it there? Well, I think the Pentagon's been clear for some period of time after AFRICOM was created that it ought to be in the theater that it's responsible for. The reason it's in Germany is because Africa used to be part of the European command, Uh, so it made perfectly good sense to be there. Uh, But I think uh, it's not unlike where we put regional commands uh, in in other contexts, and uh, so I think the Pentagon's been right on that.
1: So we have time for two more questions. The red tie. Yes, Rob Bowie with The Daily Signal. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, I wanted to ask, there are over two dozen individual aid programs. How do you envision... Using those
3: programs as part of the new strategy, will we be going to Congress to ask for legislative changes, or does the executive branch have the authority? Well, I think we probably want additional legislative authority on some aspects of the Prosper Africa approach, uh, but we have uh, uh, succeeded in getting the um, uh, improvements and expansion of OPIC's authority, which is in the Build Act. I think that's very important. We'll look at other ways as well. You know, part of the uh, issue that we'll confront is the is the proliferation of aid programs across departments and agencies, coordinating them more effectively from the U.S. government approach. But also, as I said in the speech, I think you have to look at part of this as whether and to what extent we want to reallocate uh, U.S. resources away from uh, multilateral institutions toward more direct bilateral programs. Uh, the argument being they're more effective that way and there's more direct American involvement in it. But that's an issue we're still discussing. Well, I think there are going to be several countries we're looking at. In particular, we're in discussion with uh, a number of African governments now, and I might say other governments around the world on uh, the uh, the foreign aid review. Uh, but uh, again, the the way the budget works is that these uh, numbers there's not it's not a target number as such. Aid's got a lot of flexibility in. Uh, how it allocates resources, the State Department does, the Treasury Department in the multilateral area, so people are working through all these changes that we 've announced, uh, some we haven 't announced, but the consequences of the foreign aid review as well as omB's budget guidance and we're at a point where uh, the president's uh, request to Congress will go up uh, you know knock on wood sometime in January, which is when it's supposed to go up. Uh, and, and that's when all of this will be uh, answerable in the public domain.
1: We have time for one more question, please, back there.
3: Because I give short answers. Elizabeth DeBlockle with ABC News. Do you expect the president to go visit Africa? I know the first lady made a visit. Is this something that he's going to be prioritizing? Well, I expect that we'll be uh, we'll be able to talk more about uh, foreign travel in Africa fairly short order. I've asked all of uh, the regional directorates on the NSC to give me their recommendations for presidential travel for after the first of the year. I'll be reviewing them uh, over the holidays, and uh, we'll we'll go on from there. But I would expect some announcements uh, fairly soon after the first of the year, yeah.
1: Great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much. You can uh, reach out to me uh, with follow-up questions or my colleague, uh, Cale Brown, The transcript will be uh, online in the uh, White House website uh, soon from today's remarks. And if there's anything else, be in touch. Thank you.